always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Talk to our dedicated Switch Squad or search Sky Broadband to get started. Winter is coming and in the cold, dark months ahead, limits could be imposed on our energy usage with everything from driving and cooking to heating our homes and even keeping the lights on threatened. Several countries have reported receiving significantly less Russian gas than what would be expected in the coming weeks. The EU has warned that fuel rationing could be a reality in the months ahead. The government is already planning for the worst case scenario, with contingency measures in place for any supply issues. I envision price being a problem, I don't envision supply being a problem, okay. but we do have contingency plans uh, if that were to arise, and we have reserves, and if the reserves run out, we have contingency plans as to who gets prioritised. But what exactly are those plans? And what would happen if we were forced to take such drastic steps? I'm Conor Pope and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, how real is the threat of fuel rationing and what would a winter with it look like? So first we had COVID and energy prices plummeted. But then last autumn, things started getting back to normal and the cost of oil and gas soared all over the world in line with demand. Cold weather across Europe last winter added to the pressure on prices and then the absence of wind closer to home didn't help. But it was, at least we were told, short term and manageable. Then overnight everything changed. A supposedly short term spike in prices turned into a full blown crisis that could last for years Russia invaded Ukraine, sanctions were imposed, and then the gas that flows from the east slowed. Prices went through the roof, and now the talk of rationing and energy shortages is topping the agenda. And those things would have been unimaginable even six months ago. Jack Horgan-Jones is a political reporter with the Irish Times. Jack, how likely is it that there will be energy shortages in Ireland this winter? So it's quite a scary vista, but I think it's worth taking a beat to kind of uh, consider that question. And the answer to that is kind of, it comes in two parts. It is more likely than it has been in generations. Okay. Because of the evolving geopolitical situation, we find ourselves, along with the rest of Europe, and to some extent the rest of the world, more uniquely exposed and in a position of of greater peril. Mm. But... And there's an important but. That doesn't mean that it is uh, very likely or even more likely than not to happen. That even though we face a particularly heightened set of risks, there are buffers uh, to kind of protect us from the worst possible outcomes. So, for example, we're fairly deeply interconnected into the, the UK market, which itself is removed from Russian influence, if you like, due to the fact that there's not, not an awful lot of Russian gas uh, that gets imported and what is imported is being is being run down and that the, the British market is largely supplied from either the North Sea or from uh, Norway. Mm. The UK, much like Europe, has been over the summer during the kind of fallow period for energy demand, quite focused on building up its its gas reserves, which are relatively well stocked uh, at about 79% in May, which is a record high for the season. We also have uh, the, the carb gas field, uh, which provides for about 30% of Ireland's energy demand needs or gas demand needs. If we get a lot of our gas from the carb gas fields off the coast of Mayo, and then we get the rest of our gas, most of our gas from the UK, why would we be exposed to what's happening in Russia? 
at all. So there's a few ways that works. The first way is just the simple fact of price that big disturbances in the gas market, and it is primarily the gas market we're talking about at the moment because gas is so important to uh, electricity generation in Ireland. And we've all been feeling that massive disrupting effect through our utility bills because the price of gas, because of all those disturbances and disruptions, has shot up. So in the first instance, we're already feeling it and we should probably expect that disturbing effect and the political fallout from it and indeed the social and economic fallout from it to persist for some time. But when you start to get into the kind of more scary scenarios that get mapped out about whether there could be a a ramping up of the use of Russian gas supplies over the winter as effectively a, a weapon of war or a weapon of economic war or retaliation, then things start to get a little bit scary. And, and, and researching this article that was published last Saturday, I was taken aback to find that, you know, even though we rely on interconnection with the UK, since the UK left the European Union, a lot of the agreements that would govern the sharing of gas supplies in a real emergency have fallen away with it. So there's no kind of political underpinning. What exists is a market arrangement or a commercially driven arrangement which sees gas piped from a place called Moffat in Scotland into Ireland. So what would happen if, for example, there was a serious supply shortage of gas in Germany because the Russians effectively turned off the pipes? And while there would be a massive price effect on that, there would also be the potential that the EU or the European Commission would force through some kind of burden sharing mechanism. They would insist that Norwegian gas, which, as we've already outlined, is an important part of the UK supply and therefore an important part of the Irish supply, be diverted to an an, an EU member state in the form of Germany. And then there could be a supply crunch in the UK. And as we know from the uh, torturous negotiations, if you could even call them negotiations, the the full-blown rows and and wars of words that have gone on over the Northern Ireland Protocol, Mm. there is a a fear and a sense that as a counterparty to international relations, uh, the UK is not the most reliable one at the moment. So there are are people who say uh, in Ireland that, you know, if we if push comes to shove, you know, the would political considerations and the continuance of the greatest supply of power and energy in Brexit Britain override any obligations they may feel to continue the the supply of gas in into Ireland. I, th- I certainly think that it's crucial that the government fixes our energy supply issues and the energy spike, the spike in energy prices, is a is a global phenomenon. But, it's, but what we haven't had is the national solutions that the country can deliver and that the people of this country deserve. This is so the threat is if Russia turns off the gas to Europe, which ultimately puts pressure on UK gas supplies, then the UK might not want to share with us anymore. Again, it's important to say that there's there's buffers and counterweights to this, the same the same gas pipeline that supplies Ireland, there's a spur of that that supplies Northern Ireland, and obviously UK has 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 commitments there. You know, there's an energy interconnector where we send more electricity to, to the UK than we receive, so we do carry something of a big stick as well. But you can see how all the kind of fragmentation and uh, political uncertainty and geopolitical uncertainty kind of plays into this this fear that, you know, what is coming down the tracks in, in, in winter could ver- vary from the extremely uncomfortable to the the entirely apocalyptic. 
You mentioned the torturous Brexit negotiations and negotiations over the protocol. And it's become very clear that Boris Johnson's administration is perfectly prepared to blow up the protocol in the face of huge criticism from all over the world in order to make political gains at home. So is there any sense amongst the politicians and the industry people that you've been speaking to that we could trust Boris Johnson's government in the event of a real energy crisis next winter? So the market observers, the market participants and the kind of academics who who look at this area tend to be a little bit more concerned, I found in my reporting, than the, the politicos. The politicos, they're kind of base case is that uh, the the uh, transfers of, of gas will will continue um, and they, they view it as a very low likelihood outcome that we'd face any kind of politically engendered disruption from the UK. But, you know, nonetheless, like, you know, we have to listen to, to market participants. These are the people who are, in effect, closer to the market than the politicians and they have to think about and disaster plan all these scenarios. And, and I also detected a, a, a bit of happiness, uh, particularly amongst the kind of petroleum industry, about what they see as perhaps a passivity on the on the behalf of government and an expectation that when it comes to describing or articulating how bad things could get, they feel that they're forced out to discuss security of supply concerns, whereas the, the politicians prefer to take a back seat. And perhaps there's a logic in that, because obviously politicians don't necessarily want to, A, be seen to be scaring people unnecessarily, or B, um, be seen as some kind of harbinger of doom, or, you know, someone who is talking down the economy or talking down the energy market. Coming up, how would we cope with fuel rationing? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey, get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. I mean, we're talking about energy rationing now. And as I, as I said at the outset, it would have been unthinkable to have this conversation even six months ago. We haven't really been in a place where we've been rationing energy since the 1940s when coal and gas rationing were much easier to manage and very few people actually had a car. So do we have a sense now as to how rationing might work in the winter months ahead? We do. We have a sense of what this National Energy Security Group uh, has been discussing. And, and to take a step back for a moment, this was a group that was convened at the start of the year to basically act as what some people describe as the NEFET for energy. They perhaps don't have the same public profile as, as NEFET, and that's arguably no bad thing. Um, but they've been set up to kind of look at these various different scenarios. Uh, there's a subgroup that looks at the gas market. There's a subgroup that looks at the the oil market and they've kind of modeled out, you know, what would happen if there was a, a 10, 15, 20, 30, 50% drop in the availability of petrol products or of gas. So these groups are figuring out what we here in Ireland will do in the event of energy shortages. What will we do? 
if there were to be, for example, a medium level shortage of uh, oil products, if we had a petrol availability shortage, for example, you'd get a situation where you get 100 uh, designated filling stations, kind of designated survivor type things <laughs> around around the country where only uh, essential vehicles could uh, fill up. And this would be a, probably a narrower um, definition of essential to what we uh, got used to during the pandemic. I don't think journalists might be on the list. You'd mm. be looking at, you know, food and freight and transport and emergency services. And the rest of the petrol station network would stay open for everyone else. And as as and when things got worse, you'd be in a situation where the rest of the petrol station network would be shut down. And it would be only those 100 that would stay open. And effectively, that would be a kind of stay-at-home order or a don't-drive order. If that were to get worse, if you had also, as we were discussing, the possibility of a gas shortage combined with a petrol or oil products uh, shortage, then, as I understand it, discussions go to, you know, is there a merit order on you know what's what's more important agricultural production and, and the harvest or energy production mm. and if energy production is in turn affected how do we uh, protect in the first instance vital infrastructure like hospitals and um, how do we protect uh, the gas supply to the homes of vulnerable people yeah the first institutions that would be sacrificed would probably be industrial production so you'd be seeing things like quarries uh, data centers, factories, manufacturing facilities being asked to run on reduced timetables or, you know, a three day week or something like that. And, uh, you know, you would in turn then see uh, obviously payroll effects because people will be working less and presumably being paid less. There'd be uh, 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 the risk of a hit to uh, corporate profits and therefore um, corporation tax takes. So there will be all these kind of downstream economic effects, even uh, at the kind of the, the, the thinner end. Mm. Of, of the wedge going up to like I mean look in the worst case scenario we are really talking about worst case scenarios uh, we are talking about um, if there were for example a cold snap uh, a period of still weather so you know you couldn't generate uh, wind power which is very important to our electricity system and uh, an acute gas shortage you know people do talk about how that would be catastrophic and and you know you will be looking at a period of just a few days before you would start to see I think real proper social and economic costs begin to accrue. Okay well you've mentioned the worst case scenarios there so let's talk about those for a second. Just how bad could it get and what impact would an absence of heat and light have on our society? Well, like, look how bad the political effects are already of the cost of living crisis, which potentially could be just seen as like a lower order impact of um, of the war in Ukraine. You know, we already have a big political issue in terms of the government backstopping household incomes or backstopping the cost of utility bills uh, for households. So, that's already kind of the centre of the political agenda through the summer and the government is kind of fighting a rearguard action to avoid having to move again before the budget. But like, that's when we just have a kind of price transference effect. Mm. If that price transference effect were to become more pronounced, so if uh, utility bills were to get more expensive, there would be commensurate, presumably, demand on the government to step in to to the breach even more so. And again, we're talking about potentially lower order effects. At the, at the upper end of the scale, if that kind of nightmare scenario were to emerge where you have a, a twin shortage of oil products and a gas crunch and cold weather and no wind power, I think, you know, you'd be talking about, uh, I, I don't want to say there'd be people in the streets, but like perhaps more uh, importantly, you'd have just people at home because society would effectively have to kind of shut down. And you'd, you know, to get an idea of, of what happens when society shuts down, look at what happened during COVID when we couldn't really do anything. There are 
there are proper consequences of that in terms of across society, you know, but just in the medical arena, you'd be looking at presumably delayed diagnosis um, procedures being delayed, just like the word at the height of COVID. And that would be replicated across economy and society. So it would be it would be very bad indeed. We've heard talk in the past, and this is a kind of a glib reference, but we've heard talk when we've had a period without rain during the summer. There's been a hosepipe ban. And people have been furiously reporting on their neighbours using their hose pipes to water their plants or whatever it might be. So at the very least, could we be in that scenario where people are watching what other people are doing with their energy or, and phoning into Liveline to complain that somebody had their lights on for too long? I mean, is it that kind of micro level aggression that we could be heading towards? Maybe, yeah. The value of the squinting windows kind of thing. Exactly. I think we all showed that we have a uh, latent capacity for that during COVID, you know, um, when uh, when everyone was kind of talking about, oh, I heard, I, I, I think I heard a, a social gathering in a house yeah. on the street during the week, you know. So I think, I think yeah, that, that that's entirely possible. And I think that, you know, potentially if we we saw some what are called demand side measures being brought in at a kind of household or social level. So, you know, not if, they, if things were worse effectively than, um, you know, asking a, a factory to lower production and things got so bad that they'd be asking uh, households to lower their consumption of energy, you could see cars with odd numbered regs being allowed to drive on one day of the week and cars with even numbered regs the other day of the week, you know. So, you know, w- would we be looking at something like that and, and people uh, squinting not out, out of the the windows, but at each other's uh, number plates as they drive past. If we could look at the broader picture for a second, would Russia's shutting off of the flow of gas across Europe weaken resolve and just destabilise the EU, do you think? Well, I think that's very much the intent of Russia. That is the strategy and the tactic, Mm. you know. Um, The idea is that some EU nations are obviously more dependent on uh, Russian energy exports than others. And, you know, Russia and and Putin are trying to use this as a wedge to divide the EU. And you saw a little bit of this kind of play out in the early part of the spring where there, there wasn't kind of unanimity amongst the EU members over whether to suspend Russian oil imports something that they eventually developed an agreed position on. But the, the question of gas is a lot more tricky than that. You know, the oil, oil markets, just a, as a function of, way they, of the way they operate, are, are less exposed mm. to kind of single actors or, or Russia as a single actor than uh, the EU gas market is. And so that's why I think you see a big kind of political push, not only in Ireland, but also in the EU more generally to, to wean itself off, off Russian gas. And the, I think that's something that potentially will accelerate the the green transition. Uh, the problem is that, you know, this crisis, it's kind of clumsy phrasing, but it's its arrived a little early, you know, because we're not far enough down that kind of uh, green transition road. We don't have sufficient security supply from renewable sources. So it's its forcing all these difficult kind of choices all around Europe. Mm. And you're looking at situations whereby, you know, dirtier, older uh, power plants are being kept on stream uh, for longer or, you know, energy sources that have a more disruptive effect on society are, are being being kept on stream or longer. There was a, a good article in the FT about a, a grass field in Groningen in the Netherlands where, you know, it, it, it's effectively so disruptive that there's been a lot, like 160,000 uh, damages claims lodged against the company that operated by local residents and that's being kept on stream. So those are the kind of bargains and trade-offs that are coming into the conversation more and more as we try and kind of, or as the EU try, it tries to kind of wean itself off Russian gas and figure out what's going to plug that hole between now and, you know, this uh, promised sunny upland where we're all just powered by green energy all the time. 
So you're saying that the energy crisis could actually make the climate crisis worse? Potentially, yeah, and it could also lead to uh, increased calls for things that have been politically unpalatable, like, you know, the construction of a liquefied natural gas terminal, you know, so the upshot of all this uh, upheaval really could be a a negative environmental impact uh, and a negative impact on our own emissions in the short term as well. That's it for today. We'll be back on Friday.